Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. For this week's episode of The Kettle is Hot, I'm joined by my guest, Joseph Reese. Joseph Reese is the youngest child of four of his household. His father, who passed in December of 2011, is the driving force that feeds his inspiration and motivation. He is a 2016 alumnus of Houston Tillotson University, the oldest institution of higher education and learning in Austin, Texas, and also the only HBCU in Austin. From there, he graduated magnum cum laude and received his bachelor's in music education. Currently, he has his own business as a voice slash performance coach. He's a full-time musician with Moon Tower Entertainment, LLC, serving as a lead vocalist for several of their ensembles, the matchmaker band being the main ensemble. Hello, fancy friend. (laughs) Hello, how art thou? You know, another day, another day. Because I haven't been doing much. So. <laughs> I was going to say, another day, another dollar? What are you doing? Another um, day, another day. Just another day. Hallelujah. Ah. Um, so Joseph and I had the pleasure of meeting uh, around Christmas 2018 at a holiday concert mm-hmm. by our friend Ty. And we met because Ty was like, name a holiday movie. And I think at the either at the same time we said The Preacher's Wife or someone else said it and people were like, it's not a Christmas movie. And Joseph and I ad- vehemently stay, stand against that lie. So <laughs> what, actually, what actually happened, she's kind of, um, oh, okay. you know, she's you know, babysitting this. What actually happened is that a fight broke out um, and, you know, lives were not spared <laughs> because you're not going to downplay the magic that is Dudley in that movie in that movie and the magic that is Whitney in that movie. It is a Christmas movie. I mean through Denzel and Whitney acted that film. Come down. on now. Listen. The day when <sighs> Netflix took that off, I was like, oh so y'all racist. Got it. <laughs> now listen, let me tell you something. This past Christmas I had to buy that film. Like I bought it. I hear no problem. I spent the money. And it is yet on my Amazon Prime because yeah, I couldn't find it. Like you said, I couldn't find it on Netflix. I couldn't find it on Hulu. I was like, what kind of world do we live in to where I can find, what is it? I can find, what's the Vin Diesel movie? I can find Die Hard. Vin, D- Vin Diesel is not in Die Hard. <laughs> okay, moving on. I can Thank find you. Die Hard. But, <laughs> but I can't find you're thinking Bruce. Hard? You're thinking Bruce Willis. <laughs> 
They're both bald white men. They're so both bald wrong. white men. So. Not wrong. Not wrong. So, uh, you know. But, okay. yeah, I bought it. I spent the money. Which I vehemently am against that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie just because it takes place during Christmas. But anyhow, that is not what we're talking about today. <laughs> On today's episode of The Kettle is Hot, Joseph and I just want to talk about being black in America. You know, Ooh. just having that conversation of existing, you know, during this Black Lives Matter rejuvenation. I'm thinking back to when Black Lives Matter first started. I was a senior in college, so I was 22 when Trayvon Martin was killed murdered mm-hmm. um and then black lives matter came 2012 2013 and so been following that now for seven years mm-hmm. um seven eight years yeah so just you know on these episodes been talking to people about hot button issues and all those things and so right now it's just you know having conversations of you know how can people show up what's been our experiences and and things of that nature. So, I mean, I feel like I have so much to say about being black in America. I mean, y'all know me. Um, so, yeah, wanted to just open the floor. Do you want to start or should I? <laughs> um, well, technically, you already started. Wow. Um, because. See how um, people treat you on your own show? See? <laughs> but no, I just want to piggyback with what you said because you mentioned where you were when Black Lives Matter started. Um, and I don't remember exactly where I was when Black, well, exactly at the origin of Black Lives Matter, but I remember where I was when, and I don't know if we've talked about this, when um, the verdict for George, Memer, George Zimmerman, um, may he rest in peace, has, um, I'm sorry, he's not dead. He's not dead. <sighs> And also, no, even if he was, may he, no, I don't want him resting in peace. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> extending is, no type What of- do they say in that movie? May he rest in shit. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh-uh. Um, I remember where I was when the verdict, the no, the, no, the no guilty verdict was passed for George Zimmerman. I was in Florida. Mm. Literally in Florida. So that was what, 2012? Um. And the way that I explained this to someone last week, because it seems like I've been having this conversation about the origin of Black Lives Matter, how long I've been, you know, on board with, you know, what what they're about, how long I've been defending them. Um, But I remember being in Florida and hearing that verdict. And in my mind, it seems like all of the color just drained out of the day. Like the day literally went black and white. Mind you, I was in Florida for a church convention or something like that. And so, you know, we were around all different types of people. No one was was really worried about it or no. I mean, I guess everyone kind of gave our justice system the benefit of the doubt. Here's this man walking around, you know, the neighborhood, you know, kills this young boy who didn't have any weapons on him, whatnot. We just took for granted, or we just, you know, gave our justice system the benefit of the doubt, thinking that, oh, this is just, you know, gonna blow over. And it didn't. Like, George Zimmerman was let let go. He was found not guilty. And that was kind of the day where I grew up a little bit more. Mind you, I'm 18, 
2012, yet haven't yet gone to college, but you know, in a couple of months, I would have been going to college. I can't remember exactly what month that was that, that took place. It was probably in the summer. Um, but I was, you know, I, had, I grew up a little bit. And so ever since then, I've been a proponent of Black Lives Matter. Um, I fight uh, or I will argue to the nail about what the movement is about. I feel, feel like this is about to get real heavy real quick. Um, there are lots of people who, and I hate this, have an utter disdain for individuals who constantly say, well, Black lives don't matter to Black people in Chicago, so why, why should we be worried about the Black Lives Matter movement? First of all, in the principles of what it says for Black Lives Matter, it says it is a call to action organization that combats the the killings of black and brown extrajudicial killings of black and brown people by the hands of vigilantes and law enforcement nowhere in there does it say that it is there to combat the myth of black on black crime if we want to delve into the myth of black on black crime people kill within proximity people don't kill because other people are black people don't kill because we are seen as to quote hillary clinton super predators People don't kill because they're black. White people kill white people. Asians kill Asians. There's no such thing as race on race crime. And so, but to digress, Black Lives Matter is there to, to combat lives lost at the hands of vigilantes and law enforcement. And then outside of that, not just black people, because if you can remember back, there was a deaf white man that was killed and Black Lives Matter came up to uh, make their voices known about that. And so also there should be no competition about, well, more of my people are killed by police or you know, X amount of number of, of white people are killed by police. No, that, that is not a competition that should be had. That's a, a competition that should be eradicated. Um, but that's just my little spill on Black Lives Matter. Pretty sure it won't be the last one. I agree with you, yeah. Um, yeah, and the, for those of you who need a resource to send to your families who do the old trope of, well, more white people are killed by police than black people, I will make sure to link that in the show notes because there's a white man who breaks this down mathematically for y'all. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it does all the work that I need to say. So here we are. Um, yeah, I I think what's been getting me too is around this conversation of, you know, being very proud to be black. And I was, I think it was when we were at the march last week and mm -hmm. someone wore a shirt that said pro-black doesn't mean anti-white. And I think that is a very interesting thing to discuss because I can be just because I am very proud to be black doesn't mean I that just diminishes the fact that like I don't like white people it's just I'm very proud of who I am right but, and then people are like but that's what if someone said white pride I'm like the mm. default is white so <laughs> white people don't need to be prideful about being white and they also have a lot of privileges being black means I am proud of the struggles my people have overcome. I am proud that I have overcome 
the systematic things that are put into place to make sure that black people never succeed. So pro-black means we are very much in support of the constant overcoming that our people have been able to do. And so that that's also a thing I wanted to talk about because that it's just, it's been so interesting to see, you know, how many white people are like trying to defend and push, you know, that all lives matter and you know, what, what have you, which if those of you who also need a resource to Google all lives matter and house, <laughs> and there's a whole uh, explanation of the, the a way to talk to your families about it. Cause again, on this show, I've told you, I'm not explaining shit anymore. <laughs> Do the research. If you can find a coffee shop, you can find resources that's out and not be racist. Um, so yeah, I think also, and I talked about this on my last episode with Anna about microaggression, microaggressions. And I think that, you know, you have talked about it before of like being palatable as a black person and how a lot of like, in my experience, black people have to make themselves palatable. And I think we are seeing the resurgence of that's not happening anymore. (laughs) Um, We are no longer making ourselves smaller to make white people comfortable. We are no longer, you know, doing that, that societal pressure smile to seem less, uh, what's it called? Intimidating. We are no longer, you know, me, for example, I don't move on sidewalks when people are walking down streets. And if you've never done the sidewalk test, also Google that because it is an interesting thing to see how much white people expect black people to move out of the way on the sidewalk. I don't do it. So you be uncomfortable. I stay on my side. You stay on your side. And if your side's near the street, figure it out. But <laughs> here I am on my end of the sidewalk and you'll be fine. Um, but yeah, I just think there's just so much here that black people were expected and have been expected to be for so long. And, you know, now that these murders are still continuing, like George Floyd died, was sorry, was murdered three weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. And in that time already like six or seven other black people have been killed especially trans black people, black people who are trans, black, black trans women die at such a astronomical rate. And, you know, we think of Tony McDade who was murdered in Florida as a black trans man. And, you know, there's just all these things that are still happening that we need to talk about, especially like within the black community too, of, you know, they say that black trans women are usually murdered by, like you're saying, it's, it happens in proximity. So like that is shit we have to work out in our own in our own community. Well, I don't need white people coming in telling me that who's killing black trans women. I, I we'll handle it. We got this. We're about yourself. In the words of every black mother. Um, <laughs> but I've seen that. That was also a really funny thing too. Of like, I think it was Kev on stage <laughs> pointed out like, we you know that we weren't raised by the same people because white people don't know how to mind their business. Black people are told our whole lives, mind your business. This is grown folks' business. My and my friends are talking. <laughs> like, we go are to your room. Go to your room. This is an A and B conversation. So see your way out. <laughs> like, we have been taught our whole lives Sit to mind the kids our business. Table. Yeah, right. Like, and and now that I think back on it, I was like, it was to keep us safe, to not be nosy, mm-hmm. to not be like, to not involve ourselves in things. Right. Once again, society's going to see a black kid walking upon a scene and automatically say it was us. But if we keep minding our business and keep one foot in front of the other and here, keep your head down, you'll be fine. So as we think of palatability and, you know, and you talking about that as one of the real topics you want to talk about, 
I've been thinking about that a lot because I've worked in, I work in nonprofit. So I, while I work with a lot of people of color and other marginalized groups, the higher ups in nonprofits always tend to be white, which is a, mm. which for me is interesting. Um, <laughs> Because how are you connecting with the people who are serving? If you are a wealthy white person and I'm serving communities of color who are experiencing homelessness, but you're out here right. with a six, seven figure paycheck. And so with me, I, I I always tell the story of like how I, there are times when I push that palatability, specifically at one of my jobs back in Connecticut where, you know, our CEO knew every man's name at our company but didn't know any of the women and so every time we had like a full staff meeting all the women wore their name tags but he would walk in and remember every man's name by by, like every man's name like walk up hi bruce hi julian hi mario and then have to look at the name tags of every single woman so me i stopped wearing my name tag and we would meet and he'd go around and get to me and go to like look for my name tag and I'm like, yeah, you feel that uncomfortableness? That's how I feel every time I'm around you because you wow. have not made it any point to learn any of the women's names, but you know all these men by name. So I want you to remember that my name is Brianna Jenkins and how uncomfortable you feel, and I bet you won't forget it again. Mm. And, and the head of our department was mortified. It was a Latinx woman I worked for, and she was mortified. And I was <laughs> like... I was like, listen, I'm young. If you got to fire me, you got to fire me. I'm like, but I want that white man to know that I see his bullshit. <laughs> Plain and simple. And I, and I think that's where it really started with me. I was just like, what the frick are you even doing here? Like, I'm doing the work every day. You are benefiting from the work I am doing. And you can't even have the decency to remember my name. Right. Bet. <laughs> Say less. So, yeah, that was my, my first tangent into, into palatability. Mm. So I take a deep ass, black ass sigh when I think about palatability. Um, I can most definitely say this, that I err on the side of being palatable because as a young black man growing up, um, I was taught that my reputation precedes me. Reputation will go before me, you know, before anybody sees me, they'll, you know, see my reputation or they'll see my character or whatnot. And so um, I learned to to change, you know, my approach to certain people or certain types of people because of that. And it's tiring. Um, I told you, I should have, I went back on my word. I, my first words on this here podcast should have been, I'm tired. Period. I'm tired. Why is Joseph tired? I'm glad you asked, audience. Joseph is tired because he has to put on a facade or he has to raise the timbre, raise the tone of his voice so that he doesn't seem intimidating. He has to, you know, smile more than he would want to. He has to be extra friendly. He has to, you know, um, 
make sure that he's not squinting or make sure he's not, you know, smoldering or has a certain look on his naturally resting bitch face. So, you know, I'm, I have in the past done certain things to make certain people feel comfortable and what a privilege it is to have other people, you know, essentially be fake. So it makes you feel comfortable. Mm. Like my, not that I use a lot of, AAVE, African American Vernacular English. Um, but, you know, sometimes I err on the side of not using that, you know, in white people's presence because, you know, they want to be included. They want to clap on the one and three. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> they want to clap on the two and four, but, you know, usually clap on the one and three. You know, it's just, you know, they want to be included. And there's been times in the past where I, you know, put on this facade or put on this face just so that they could be comfortable. But I feel that in this climate that we're in, in whatever is going on right now, um, you know, it's, it's our, it's our job and it's our, um, it's the position that we have now to be our, to be our natural selves and to figure out if these people are for us or not for us. If you want to be an ally, if you don't want to be an ally, but this is who is walking into your office every day. This is who is stepping up on your stage every day. This is who you're sitting down with every day. And I'm tired of being, you know, I'm tired of essentially serving your comfortability. Um, it's time for them to get uncomfortable. It's, it's time for that. Um, because we're tired, we're tired, point, point blank period. I remember, I'll say this, I remember um, in college, it had to have been 2015 because that's when Mike Brown was killed. Um, I remember what I, I went, this, I went to the same place twice. Um, it was a grocery store, but during the day, um, I had dressed up for class. And so just to give you a brief synopsis of what I was wearing, I had on a navy blue Perry Ellis suit, slim fit, it fit me perfectly. Um, I had on my mahogany Aldo shoes with matching belt, had on probably a sky blue tie with yellow, uh, I'm sorry, a sky blue shirt, yellow and blue accents in the tie that popped perfectly, had on a tie clip, had on, you know, handkerchief that matched the tie. I was decked out to the nines, just how I like to be and look very professional. It's a, it's a look that says I look professional, but certain things about it says I shit on you because I put this outfit together so perfectly. Anyway, went to the grocery store in that, um, I'm guessing I didn't pick up everything I needed at the time I was living off of uh, I was living off of Riverside during school. And so went in, got what I thought I needed to cook and whatnot, went back to my apartment, realized I didn't have what I needed. By this time I was out of all my clothes. And so I said, you know what? Let me put on a black hoodie. Let me put on, um, you know, some, some street clothes and see what my, what the op see if I get the opposite response from people when I go into this store. And I did. Um, I was very, I went in, I was, I had my third eye open 
as I did this, um, just to see what response I would get. Now it wasn't too much time in between between this. It was kind of sun going down when I when I made the first trip to the store, and then the sun was kind of you know almost all the way down when I went back the second time. Um, and the difference in the interaction from people around me, um, as well as the cashiers and whatnot, I could tell there was a difference. I had my eyes open looking for that difference, not necessarily causing something to happen to make a different reaction from people, but I was just noticing that difference. And it kind of opened my eyes towards, you know, how people are perceived. Yes, I already, I know that in whatever, I could be wearing a $600 suit or a hoodie and still be a nigga because that's what they'll see me as. But I, I, in that climate that we're in in 2015, I made the, the decision to test this and see how I'm perceived either way. And I didn't like it. I mean, of course, being singing in a suit, okay, whatever. But the way that I was treated as a black man in a hoodie, just, just that, um, people seem scared of me. People seem to, you know, walk a little bit further away from me. Um, you know, there were, you know, looks or whatever as I'm walking through the parking lot, walking up and down the aisles and whatnot. And it it shouldn't be that way. You should see, look at me like a white woman in a hoodie, and 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 tights, not literally, but still, I'm not a threat. I'm a teddy bear. I mean, I'm I'm loving. I may not look loving, but it's your job to figure out if you want to figure out, if you want to invest that time, is this somebody who's, you know, loving? Take them as you see them. Don't immediately think that we're a threat um, because we're not. Most of the times we're not. Um, and it's those stereotypes that kill us. If you, if you really want to, if you really want to get to the, to the bottom of it, what pulls the trigger are those stereotypes. That's what pulls the trigger. That's what's on our necks. That's what, you know, shoots us in the back. Stereotypes. That's the murderer. And I do want to say this. Um, Anti-blackness has no color. Anti-blackness has no color. It doesn't matter what color you are. You could be anti-black. You could be colorist. You could be, have you could really truly believe in those stereotypes that are placed against us. Anti-blackness has no color. All kinfolk are not skin, all skin folk are not kinfolk. Somebody would get that on the way out. Amen, lights. For me, it's been so interesting watching other people who aren't black start <laughs> to educate themselves around this in history and how whitewashed history is Ooh. and the other day um this woman came into my instagram dms and she was like hey i know this isn't your job i apologize in advance but i've been really trying to learn about she's like someone in my family said that there were white slaves and i was like it, she came very politely and i was like you know what i have time today and i explained that a lot of stereotypes are put into place so that no one would do this research. So you just believe what is said to you at face value of 
you know, black women do nothing but like rip off welfare in the state, which there's more black people on welfare than black than white, more white people than black people on welfare. Or that, you know, what, what else? Like any other stereotype you can think of was put into place. Oh, like the stereotype of like black men do nothing but love you and leave you. And I was like, that's another stereotype so that no one would date black men and therefore wouldn't fall in love with them and see them as actual humans. And so I told her this, this whole trope that there were white slaves is, uh, is the oldest trick in the book. I was like, slaves and indentured servants are two different things. They go, white people who were indentured servants meant that another wealthy white person paid off your debt. And so you worked for them until you paid off that debt. Slaves did not have that right. Slaves were just owned property that had to work. But then if slave masters heard that indentured servants were thinking of running away with the slaves and then they got caught, the indentured servants would have to like work off the debt of the black person too. So that was another way to separate indentured slaves from, I mean, sorry, indentured servants from slaves. So I tell people like, just Google this day in history, in black history, (laughs) every single day. And I'm telling you, we'll learn something new because the history books, no matter what state you're from, is so whitewashed. And, you know, the, I mean, even here in Texas, if you Google the Alamo, and it's completely different stories from what's in your history books versus what is told, like what actually happened. Um, like the, there's a woman I mentioned in the, in the last episode with Anna. Um, she's a, um, like an activist. And she talks about how like, we learned looting and violence from white people because y'all do nothing but steal. And I was like, well, she's not wrong. <laughs> so just think about how, like everything, everything in this world is seen through a white scope first. Mm. White whiteness is the default. And so as we continue to think about those conversations of people, you know, joining, joining the ranks of education, just to hold that because you know, black people, we've known this our whole lives. Our bodies know this trauma. We've been playing this game. We've been experiencing this shit for over 400 years. So right. we know what it means to be oppressed. But y'all coming in now are just, you know, you're coming to our table now learning. Right. So welcome. Do your work. There are so many resources out there. I'll be sure to share some more in the show notes. But yeah, I, I think of you know, being black in America means that our history is constantly erased or manipulated. And I've really been feeling that as of lately with the protesters and those who are marching and white people telling us that we should be more like Martin Luther King. And I was like, y'all hated him back when he was alive. That's why he got assassinated. Cap took a knee, Cap took a knee in the most like quote unquote proper way to protest and he didn't work for two, three years. So we're damned if we do, we're we're damned if we do, and we're damned if if we don't. So now we're just doing the things that we want to do to invoke change. Like, there's never going to be a quote-unquote proper way to protest for white people. So now we're just like, we're going to do it our ways and see what happens. Right. And a couple of things. There will never be a proper way to protest. There will never be a proper victim. There will always be something wrong with the victim. There'll, there'll always be something wrong with the person, the black person that gets killed. Oh. 
either they're going to dig up his history mm-hmm. or they're going to assassinate his character. They're going to mm-hmm. find pictures of this person that looks less than flattering, try to demonize the way they look. There's always going to be something wrong with the victim. Damn it. They crucified black ass Jesus. Come on now. Mm-hmm. Jesus and was black. Sorry. <laughs> with hair like wool and skin like bronze. I'm sorry. He was not a white man. Also, what white person lives in the Middle East? But continue. <laughs> Go ahead. Come on now. With blue eyes. He lived near the equator. There's no way. Um, they crucified him. And he, he was perfect. Still killed him. Mm-hmm. Like there would never be, there would never be the perfect. Even though there's been examples of people that were exemplary, mm-hmm. Jordan Edwards was just leaving a party. They killed, shot him in the back. The car riddled with bullets. Mm-hmm. I actually, I actually know uh, a friend of mine. It was his teacher, mm-hmm. um, and you know she was just crushed. Um, Fernando Castile, we saw him killed on live stream. Registered gun owner. Uh, what is the what is there was a security guard who stopped an active shooter, and when the police officers got there, they shot him and killed him. So you oh, NRA, where are you? Mm. Hello. Um, but there would never be a perfect victim. Well, that's like there. As I was looking at this thing on Instagram the other day. like a a Twitter screenshot and there was this one white lady being like you know you could just like not do illegal things and maybe the police won't kill you and another white woman responded goes Breonna Taylor was sleeping (laughs) like like or if you think about how like you're saying every time a black person is killed they they drudge up everything that they have ever done and you know talk about their character and they shouldn't have been doing this and they victim blame and blah 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 whereas when Brock Turner got caught raping Woo! that woman mm. and they said that you know him going to jail would ruin his promise bitch what like and it's that also that <laughs> conversation of like how white white children like boy like boys who are white are seen as white boys until they're about like 25 exactly a black boy stops being a black boy around 12. like age eight nine ten yeah. like yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think I've mentioned it before, but a friend of mine, she is a white woman. She adopted a black boy um, mm-hmm. who he will be too this year. And so watching her Instagram lately, and she mm-hmm. is just out here with the facts. She's like, I'm never going to be able to understand what my son's going through, but you better shit. You better, you better, <laughs> back this up. You better bet your ass I'm going to like fight as much as I can to make this world safer for him. She goes, so for all you people who say my kid is cute now, what, mm. what are you going to think about him in five years? Right. What are you, my white friends, what are you teaching your kids so they don't kill my kid? And I was like, ooh, girl, she was out here. Like, Step on the toes. Step next. <laughs> and like, <laughs> you know, right now, I'm going to talk about this in another episode with another friend, but. I think about, you know, all of these white people who are, who, who like all their, all their stuff is being drug, judged up from like when they were younger doing brown and blackface to, mm-hmm. you know, making, writing things on like Twitter about you know, all these slurs and, you know, or these guys who were just like, it was in New Jersey, these white men were like counter protesters and one white guy was like kneeling on another white guy's back. 
as like <sighs> mocking the murder of George Floyd and all of them got fired from all their jobs. And as they should. <laughs> as they should. Also, the fact that Brianna's law was passed but none of the officers who killed her are in custody yet. Are problems. Questions. And that's the thing, like I don't want this is why I'm doing this whole this these episodes because I want us to keep talking about it is not a moment it is a Mm -hmm. movement we black Mm -hmm. people have been doing this work for so long and we need allies to take you know to take some of that brunt off of us and like you're saying like as black people we have to represent every other black person wherever we go i don't get to just be brianna i have to be brianna represents every other black woman that those Mm -hmm. people will ever come in contact with i have to quote unquote fight against the stereotypes right like Anna mentioned on our episode about how people automatically always ask her, like, how many kids do you have? <laughs> she's like, I'm sorry, what? And it's because, like, she's a black woman in America, and they think all we do right. is push out kids. So, like, her being a black nurse who was also part of the LGBTQIA plus community throws people off. It's like, you know, we are able, just like white people in every other race, to hold multitudes. Like, right. Yeah, and, and, and I think people are just not waking up to the systematic level of everything. Stereotypes, racism, yeah. how everything is baked into into our culture. Right. It's... Did I, did I mention that I'm tired? Oh, I've been exha- exhausted. And you know how I used to say I'm, I've been exhausted since 92? Uh-huh. Anna taught me that our body is 80% water. And that's why we hold trauma because all of the water that has passed from past generations are now in our bodies. So we feel four years worth of trauma. Wow. So I have my own shit, which is new, Uh new shit. But I I hold my mom's, my grandmother's, my mom's grandmother, and my grandmother's grandmother. So I hold four generations of trauma in our bodies. Wow. So if we are black people in this country who have been, so now you think about that, of that 400 years of trauma has passed down literally yeah. through our bodies. Wow. So us saying we're tired is not, an over, is not a, a, a hyperbole. No, it's not. We but are you think physically about, tired. You think about the individuals who have the privilege of not being tired, the privilege of not having to worry about this and whatnot. And at at some point, I used to I used to envy them because they had the privilege to just turn this shit off, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, just turn the TV off and not worry about you know these protests. Or you know, hey, I don't see any resemblance to that guy that was just you know choked to death. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm gonna go about my lovely white life. But um, I don't necessarily envy them anymore. Because the type of, and of course it's, it's, it's difficult, but the strength that we have developed from having to go through this and our, the pride that we get from having survived this, um, I think, I don't know if you've seen it, but Dave Chappelle um, has a, a like 26 minute special on, it might be on Netflix, but I saw it on YouTube. Um, and he hits the ground running, talking about um, talking about George Floyd and talking about these murders and whatnot. And the one thing that he touched on, I hate to say, 
uh, I hate to say this woman's name, but Dave Chappelle started talking about the video that Candace Owens put up. Yes, literal eyes rolling in the back of my head. And how Candace Owens said something along the lines of, I, mind you, I didn't watch the whole video. If I had minutes on my phone, I wouldn't waste them on that shit. Um, so she started talking about how she can't support George Floyd and she can't, you know, she can't do this or that because George Floyd had a record and whatnot and he shouldn't be seen as a hero. Dave Chappelle said, if anybody can make it, if any black person can make it through this life or can make it to, you know, a point in this life where they've made it or they are safe and whatnot, that person is a hero because it is not easy being black. It is not easy being, it's not easy easy raising black children. So if you are doing that and you're making it and you're still living, you are a hero to me because I know how difficult it is. But let's backtrack. Candace Owens said that she can't support people marching and using George Floyd because he's a criminal. Cool, if you wanna say he's a criminal, cool. You don't wanna use him as an example, fine. We're still marching, okay? You might know where I'm going. We're still marching because Emmett Till was killed. We are still marching because Tamir Rice was killed. We're still marching for each and every one of these people, and a lot of them don't have criminal records. Mm-hmm. So if you, want to, you, if you want to dismiss people on the basis of their record, first of all, there's a lot of us that wouldn't be worth shit. Wouldn't be worth shit because some of us have criminal records. I'm pretty also, sure- we, Also, you're saying that just because he had a record, he deserves to get murdered? Is that what you're saying? Really? So we're just going to kill off everybody who's got a record. Are you fine with that, Candace? Are you fine with that? And she's another topic within herself that I do not care to delve into. Mm -hmm. People, if you want to see the hypocrisy, just look up Candace Owens, how conservative she is and how, you know, anti-black and what, this is what I meant when I said that there's, anti-blackness has no specific color because she's black and she's she's very anti-black, but yet she wanted to use the NAACP to help her win a settlement. Mm-hmm. Questions that need answers. But she's black <clears throat> and it's convenient for her. Mm, come on now. But you know, it's there that goes back to the point where there will never be a perfect victim for some people. And you know, those are the type of people that we just have to, you know, let them fall by the wayside and continue with our movement for working for Equality, what's most important, working towards equity. Equity is what's most important. We can have equality all day, but equity? Nobody, I mean, people want to talk about that, but nobody really puts that on the pedestal that it needs to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's... Do you want to tell people the difference? Ooh, how about you do it? How about you do it? Listen, you, you brought it up. Why do I have to... <laughs> Listen. Let me find a, six, a succinct way. I would just read something. Yeah, let me, because I, I was going to look up something as well. Because I okay. had some notes. Okay. 
I found a summary from everydayfeminism.com, which okay. take it with a grain of salt, people. Equity is giving everyone what they need to be successful. Mm-hmm. Equality is treating everyone the same. Equality aims to promote fairness, but can only work if everyone starts from the same place and needs the same help. And so with me, that says equality is if we give everyone the same chance. Right. Equity means we are giving everyone the same chance, but also helping those who are kind of starting behind. Right. Is the best way I can describe it. And a lot of people don't want to do the work that it takes to live in an equitable society because oh that's a lot of work because let's say that you know this person needs the these types of you know this type of assistance well i mean that's a lot of work to implement that type of assistance let's just let them fall through the cracks no that's not an equitable society we need to make sure that not only are people being treated equally but they have what they need and they're being treated equitably i mean Nobody wants to do the work. Uh-uh. It's too, and, and nobody wants to live in the the uncomfortability that it that rises from having to, that has that rises from having to give people the equity that they need. Because it is work, and it should it should be, you know, it should be work because there are different people that have different needs, and different people that are raised different, that have cultural differences that we all should adhere to, that we all should adhere to. I agree. Again, Google. Right. There's pictures, people. You can. There's videos you can watch on it. Like there's people who do a whole line of work around this. So Google is your friend. Google is your. Again, if you can find a coffee <coughs> shop, if you can find how to not to how to be anti-racist. Mm, just be be um, just you know what coffee shop are you going to? Is it Starbucks? Oh no, Starbucks got canceled this year. So. Mm, but this isn't their first time being canceled. I said this year. Oh, <laughs> they, they've this been like year. Re- they've been canceled this like it, it got renewed. The continual con- cancellation of Starbucks continues. <laughs> right. Uh I mean and that's a that's a segue thinking about um you know the whole living while black thing kind of <clears throat> Excuse me. The whole living while black thing kind of rose out of the whole interaction at Starbucks. You remember that? Oh my God! Yes. Mm-hmm. Where the that. what the black guys were there for a meeting or something, mm-hmm. and some white lady we're just gonna call her Karen because I think that fits. Yeah. Um, decided to call the police on these two black men that were just sitting in Starbucks, and they were like held, you know, at the station for X amount of hours and whatnot, just for being black. And then you had other things that arose, you know, there was, you know, Barbecue Betty or whatever her name was that wanted to call the cops Mm -hmm. on people who were barbecuing at the park and whatnot. And then the lady that was that permit Patty, I think I I got that one right, where Mm -hmm. she wanted to call the police because the little girl was selling bottles of water. Like, Mm -hmm. we can't, what can we do? Nothing. Literally, what can we do? I mean, in these cases, gladly no one was killed. I mean, but still there's these 
instance, they are these instances of uh, white women slinging their big dick privilege around and calling the police when it's not needed. <laughs> it's literally not needed. People blocking the entrance or following people to their, their apartments uh, because you don't think they live in your building. Right. Or it's just so many examples. All, things. All of the things. Again, you know what you could continue to do? Mind your business. Yeah, exactly. There's a, if y'all Google living while black, um, like illegal, a lot of states are working to create a law that makes it illegal to call the cops on black people just out here living their life um, because it's a, now a racially motivated call, which therefore is a hate crime. Boom. So I know like Grand Rapids is working on it. New York is working on it, especially in response to now my favorite, Amy. Every woman in the park is now Amy to me. Um, <sighs> after Amy Cooper called the cops on uh, Chris Cooper, um, after she's saying like, she's liberal and she's progressive and like, but still Which her innate whiteness knew to call the cops on this black man. Liberal, progressive, that means nothing. That means nothing when it comes to racism, because as I vehemently say, neither side, neither wing of the bird has ever had the interest of black people at heart. Ooh. Never. So people that want to say, well, you know, you live in a democratic city or whatnot. Look at the leadership. Look how dilapidated it is. Democrats run this or whatnot. Neither side has ever had the interest of black people at heart. Mm -hmm. Neither side. Why do the ghettos exist? Redlining and gerrymandering. Why? I mean, why is the crime rate so high in those areas? Because you sectioned us off into those areas uh -huh. and then crime rose. Then you put guns in the community, X, Y, Z. And so these are things that you created, but now we have to deal with. I understand. But neither side has ever had the interest of Black people at heart. So liberal, progressive and whatnot, that does not stop the racist from being racist it doesn't but also i don't remember where i heard it i want to say it's one on one of the city council calls i was recently listening to of how we how these police come into these neighborhoods and police neighborhoods they don't even live in right like Ooh. you just come in and arrest people and have no idea what you know that's like trying to run for mayor in a city you don't live in like you don't mm -hmm. know what is happening in that neighborhood you don't know these people and so exactly. someone said like don't just show up to arrest us like you as the police should be coming in getting to know the people who you are serving because you work you work for us right and you know that was just such an interesting thing to think about like oh what a concept that the police actually get to know the people in their in their district before they so, just come in and arrest us and kill us all how foreign of an idea that is i mean i i, I can't remember and you said that what you just said made me remember what i watched i can't remember where i watched it or what but it was i think the cameras were following you know what it was uh what's his name kamal bell because he did kamal bell yes yes his podcast politically reactor was one of my favorite continue so kamal bell had or has a special on probably netflix and so one of the episodes he was following, he was riding along with... Sorry, sorry. It's W. Kamal Bell. That's what I'm talking about. W. Kamal Bell. Okay. Mm -hmm. So W. Kamal Bell um, had this special on either Netflix or Hulu where um, he was tackling certain 
certain problems. There was one where he met up with um, what? United Shades of America. United Shades of America. There it is. W. Kumal Bell has this special called United Shades of America where he would go and kind of tackle these these issues. Um, and I don't know how I happened upon it. I don't know what I was watching. Um, but I just decided to click on it. Um, first episode I saw, he was going to this rural part of America and talking to these KKK or talking to these, you know, sons and daughters of Ku Klux, of, of clans, men and women. Um, and the one episode that sticks out to me is the episode where he was riding along with police in a, I don't know if it was Chicago or if it was, if it was an East coast Jersey town. Um, but speaking to your point about police policing areas that they don't live in, this was a case where the police officer that he was riding with grew up in that area or still lived in that area. And you could see the, the ease of how the police officer moved through that area, you know, talking with people that were there on the streets you know, I think it was a black woman that was a police that was the police officer. She, you know, had the ability to connect to the people that were on her streets because she grew up there. And so you have these police officers that are coming, you know, that live maybe a county over or live in a different district or whatnot, policing people that they don't one understand and two uh, can't connect to or don't understand the basic streets that they're walking. Um, and that's that can be a problem because you don't understand the demographic. You don't understand the culture of, you know, this small knit community because that's possible for them to have their own culture in that small knit community, mm-hmm. which you're coming in and you're disrupting that. You're coming in and, and you know, <sighs> arresting people that you don't understand aren't necessarily a threat or, the, you know, this is just how you know, little Ricky acts on Wednesdays, you know, <laughs> he gets him a little taste of beer and this is just how little Ricky acts. It's not a problem. And so, you know, I feel like there's a big thing when it comes to policing people outside of the area that you understand, because you can't have this cookie cutter approach to one, every person that you come across and to every community that you police. You can't, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Like most things in life, not everything is going to be so cookie cutter. It's not. You know, I think about all of these, going back to living while black, I think about all of these hashtags where I know I said earlier that um, it's not, it, that it's the stereotypes that pull the trigger um, or it's the implicit bias that pulls the trigger um, most of the time. But, you know, all of these living while black uh, hashtags, you know, people uh, calling the police on black people, just doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, the black guy that was a babysitter, you remember that? He was a babysitter for these two white kids. And the white lady followed, called the police and followed his car through the neighborhood. And, you know, the police pulled him over. Luckily, he was recording and was able to 
you know, show that I'm the babysitter for these kids. He had to call the kids' parents. They had to verify that this is the babysitter, adding inconveniences to this black man's life who was just trying to, you know, make a living. He's babysitting these two white kids. And some white lady had a problem with that. She thought they were being kidnapped. What did we just say? Mind your business, please. Please. Uh, it's tiring. It is very tiring. The Karens, the Kevins, the Chets. Chads. The Chads. <laughs> Chad. you know, Chad. Could you imagine if you met a Chet? Uh, sounds like he's got a country club with a cardigan Oof. tied around his neck. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, these these implicit biases are what what pulls the trigger, <clears throat> and no amount of no real amount of you know implicit bias training for the the cops is really going to you know solve that issue. It's a root issue. I feel like I'm talking about one of your previous podcasts. It's a root issue. Um, what, it, they were slave catchers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we don't have to delve into that. But I told somebody the other day, I mean, because, and here I am talking in circles. Um, you said something earlier about having to be the spokesperson for your race within these white spaces. Mm-hmm. That's me. I sing at white churches. And so I found myself this week being that spokesperson for my race. And I mentioned defunding the police to them. And they were like, you know, kind of caught off guard. And so I had to explain to them, no, we're not abolishing the police. No, we're not, you know, ridding the country of, you know, the police force, but we are repurposing funds. We are taking money that could be used elsewhere and putting it, you know, into healthier, um, healthier places that can support the community rather than them, you know, buying military gear and whatnot. Um, And so I found that me being that black person in a, an obviously white space, you know, I was able to, I was able to one speak for the, the causes that I find myself believing in, but also being able to have their ear and them understand because they're willing to listen. Um, and so they walked away with some understanding, especially especially one of the ladies, she has two teenage black sons. She adopted them from Ethiopia. And, um, you know, I offered that, you know, anytime that you want me to speak to your sons, I mean, she that was something that she wanted. Anytime that you want me to speak to your sons, I'm, willing and able just you know say the thing because she said i don't know what to say as a white woman i don't know what to say um but it is tiring having to be in some of those white spaces and actively fight against that implicit implicit bias that some of them have granted they're not the ones that are always behind the trigger you know they aren't the ones that are actively you know taking the lives of black and brown people but that implicit bias is something that we that we face on the daily. And I think that in a time that we're in right now, when there are people that do want to listen, that it is good for us to, if we have, are in the right mental place to speak up and, and, you know, not necessarily educate because Google is so prevalent. And everyone, so free. And so free. Oh, I hate, I would hate if they charge for Google. 
Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> to somewhat speak of our experiences, uh, I'm not going to educate you. Um, yes, my degree is in education, but I'm not your teacher. I will send you an invoice in a hot second. But um, speaking my experiences, I'm, I'm a black person that you know. Let me tell you about my experiences. Let me tell you about the time I was pulled over two twice, two times in one night. You know, just, you know, giving them some, because I've said that you can't heal what you can't feel. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's real important for, um, really important for white people to be able to feel. And if, if that feeling has to come through someone that they know, so be it. I want you to be able to feel whether it's my fear, my anger, the sadness from seeing yet another black person being taken, my how I feel being able to to identify with another life that's taken. You know, I see, oh, you know, I see, you know, an older brother or I see an uncle when I see George Floyd or I see a cousin or I see a sister when I see Breonna Taylor or I see, you know, X, Y, and Z. We're able, we have, black people, we have such a sense of community that I feel that some other cultures don't have that it, it hits us in a deep place when we see these, these people and their lives being taken. But I think it's, it's good for us to be, to share those experiences if or when we can to these people that can't necessarily relate or feel what we go through. And I think that is a beautiful place to wrap this episode. As you know, I'll be sure to link everything in the show notes, your website, your Instagram, anything else you want me to plug. Um, but, you know, I like to end every episode with a question. What is the best advice you were given or what's the piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Whew. Um, the best piece of advice I was ever given um, also pertains to my approach to a lot of things. It's that a wise man is silent. Tis a fool that will open his mouth and remove all doubt. And I say that because um, that has taught me to have, you have two of these, you have two ears and one mouth. So I tend to listen a lot more than speak because of that. Because, you know, that gives me the ability to gauge certain experiences, gauge certain people, um, engage my surroundings. So, um, and I would also tell my younger self that, that a wise man is silent. Tis a fool that will open his mouth and remove all doubt. That's it for this week's episode of The Tea with Bree. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Bree. Send me an email at theteawithbree at gmail.com and visit the website, theteawithbreepodcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to you all later this week. Bye. <laughs>